doing? I love you so much. I love you too, Peter. But aren't we lucky? Some people don't get to feel affection in this. And we're ripping it off. Because it's the right thing to do. Always with me. Talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 286 of the Talk of the Street, another official Coronation Street Catcher podcast that ho ho holy fuck we've got four hours of Corey to talk about, I'm Gavin. And I don't know what day it is. It's Friday. Is it? Oh well it must be Friday because we're doing the podcast. This almost word for word is the same as our intro to our Christmas episode (laughs) last last year. year. (laughs) I've just been laying around reading books and going to movies. (laughs) <laughs> Which was exactly the same as what we said last year as well. Yes, because that's what we do this week. <laughs> well, you don't read books. Oh, we're going to have this this whole conversation again, again, even though, again. Even though a very nice person got you the screenplay for Ex Machina for Christmas. So you do have something you want to read. Yeah, I've started reading it. Have you? Yeah. And there's some pictures of some boobs towards the end. <laughs> I checked them out. <laughs> I Yeah, you knew they were coming though. You've seen the movie. I didn't know that they would be covered in the screenplay version of the script. Ah. But well, they but they were. They were. There's lots of extra little bits. This is an A twenty four book. Yes. The first A twenty four book of the movie, which includes the script and it includes some Behind the scenes, bits and pieces, and some boobage mm-hmm. in the appendices. You've been seeing it's very a lo- good. Been seeing a lot of boobs this week. Oh, too many boobs. <laughs> too many boobs belonging to Emma Stone. <laughs> if you've never seen, if you haven't seen Poor Things, that's Gaz review. <laughs> Emma Stone, put your boobies away. And it, it takes something for me to get to fed up with seeing boobs. Right. Yes. Uh, anyway. Ah, we we saw Ferrari today, and it managed to have two sex scenes, two great sex scenes, where there are no boobies on display. There's a man's ass, though, and I appreciated that. <laughs> I could tell you made like a. I do like shift a, about in your seat. I do like a good ass. There you go. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Four hours of Corey. How are you? How was your Christmas? It sucked. I was sick. Now, this is where we changed from last year because right. I was sick last year. Right. You were sick and laid about in the hotel room and had to get DoorDash last year. Yep. This year, it was me. And this year, my DoorDash person didn't spill my stuff. So I didn't have to pick noodles out of a bag. You must tip well. <laughs> yeah, it was a wee shame you missed the Christmas Eve festivities such as yeah. the were. The opening of presents and the confusion of presents. Yes. I got to... I don't need to choose my verb carefully. <laughs> Participate. Yes. In that solo. Yes. And with I your lo- family. And I love you for it. There you go. My nephew 
got me volume eight of a series of books called Social Democracy in Great Britain. So now I suppose I have to go and find the other volumes in the set. It was the same nephew that was trying to explain to me what the Falklands were all about. (laughs) I seem to remember bits and pieces of that from the 1980s. So yeah, that was Christmas. That was Christmas. It was done. We got home... What, Boxing Day? So we've been kind of hanging about. Yeah, we still haven't eaten Indian food, so it's we it doesn't to, feel like Christmas yet. No, we need to fix that yes. in the next couple of days. We did have some lovely dim sum last night. We did. Yes. So. Pumpkin buns and barbecue pork buns and shrimp buns and all kinds of buns. Four hours recording. Yeah, through. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that festive for the third week in a row. Corey News. <laughs> How good was our Millie on Christmas Day? Answer, very good. Now, I think you and and I and most people who uh-huh. have watched Millie Gibson in action in Coronation Street uh-huh. feel very proud and protective of her. Yes. As her career continues into Doctor Who. Yes. It's, it's almost personal. Yeah. Which I, I don't think I remember feeling this way about really... Any character who left the show and went on to do something else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an unusual emotion. I, I don't dislike it, but it's it's strange that it seems to be a collective emotion as well. Yeah. No, it was funny because there was a couple of, in a, in a couple of Whovian groups I belong to on Facebook, you know, there are certain people who whose only comment on her was that she was hot. And I'm like, excuse me, she's more than a pretty face. How dare you <laughs> is what I want to say. Right. But they're trolls, so I, I don't feed trolls. Quite right. Yeah. Yeah, she seems as comfortable on the TARDIS as she was on the cobbles. And this American auntie is so proud of her. So pr- I'm watching it and it's like it's my own daughter up there. It's like it's Sally. It's a strange, strange collective thing, isn't it? Yes. People do feel this way with Mella Gibson. Very much so. It was so fun. You know, there were there were these goblins there was a goblin king who looked nothing like david bowie and there was singing and dancing as well as as running and all the other stuff that tends to happen on on doctor who no i'm not much of a fan of doctor who as you know but But you are a fan of millie gibson but what i've been reading about her and the new doctor whose name escapes me shirigatwa is that it's a very fun combination well, the goblins wanted to eat a baby, so as goblins tend to do. Well, that tickles my funny bones. So, so you know, but it's handled it's handled very well, and you know, I mean, Russell T Davies is a good pair is a good safe pair of hands. I think we can all agree. But yes, and you know, honestly, I I almost feel the same about about Shuti Gatwa as I do about Millie because I absolutely love Sex Education. I thought that was a brilliant show, and I thought he was absolutely brilliant in that. And I love the fact that his doctor is very different from from that character, mm. you know. And and he let a bit of his Scottish side out because he's in a nightclub dancing in a kilt, and I love that. We've all been there. Love that. So, congrats to Millie. Keep going, girl. We've got your back with the trolls on the Facebook. Speaking of pride. A certain scrappy little podcast was thanked at the end of the Big Soap Quiz this week 
Oh, and uh, Corey won. Yay. But hey. Oh, did they? The Talk of the Street podcast. Number one on the list of special thanks to. I, I wondered if that had escaped you. It had not. <laughs> it had not. And why were they thanking us, Broom? Well, they got in touch with us a couple of months ago to say yes. that uh, in the making of the big soap quiz, mm-hmm. Corey versus Emmerdale this year, they were looking to use our London, uh, London, London, London montage. Nothing was promised, but no. just a kind of heads up that this was maybe going to be a thing. So I sent them the, a version of it so that they weren't scraping it off YouTube. Right. Forgetting for a moment that this is ITV, who probably have access to all these clips better than I do anyway. Right, yeah. Um, but also just try to be a nice guy about it, obviously. Right, yes. <clears throat> and then they came back uh, the start of the month to say that I had made the final show and... Uh, we were getting a little thanks in the closing credits, and they were good to the word. We absolutely. I, I don't know that it belonged in the show, other than it was there. It was there to just be to, funny, just to be funny. There was no questions on it or anything Mm-mm. like that, but it was quite funny seeing Tony Maudsley, aka our George, chuckling away to the the collection <laughs> of people being confused by London. Yeah, so, yeah, that was a a really a really pleasant. And lovely way to finish off what has been a great year for our scrappy little podcast. Because yeah. well, it's good something was great this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, our uh, our total downloads for twenty twenty three is up fifty percent on twenty twenty two. That's amazing. And our first week downloads, which is the the measure that I like to mm-hmm. to fixate over, is how many downloads they we get in the first week that we release a new episode right that's pretty much double this year so amazing it's it's great and then we have friends of the podcast in the last six months that we didn't have before that were that were regularly giving us money for coffees which is just absolutely incredible and yes. humbling so yeah a, a fantastic way to finish a great year absolutely yay us yay sponsors <laughs> get in touch we, we may not say no to the ball scrubbing money this year. I'll read the copy. I'll talk about how much I love to scrub your balls. Four hours of Corey to get through. <laughs> then finally, like father, like son. This week, it's been announced that Simon actor Alex Bain is also leaving the show. Um, and, you know, following in Chris Gascoigne's footsteps. So... Thoughts about that? Well, we have talked about the fact that Simon is not used very well in the show. He lost a job. No one knew he had. He has friends that no one's ever seen. Now it looks like he's kind of hitting the bottle a little bit or maybe drinking a bit too much. Is this the startings of an alcoholism storyline for him? And it just feels that they haven't known what to do with him for quite Quite some some time. time. And, and, And maybe this is for the best. No offence to Alex, obviously, but sometimes it just makes sense to finish something. Yeah, he he started a company called Molnir Productions, you know, Thor's Thor's Hammer. He's named his production company after Thor's Hammer. So, you know, looks like he has big plans for himself on the horizon and he's picking himself up and all the best for him. I know he's had kind of a rough year himself. Um, with with his breakup and 
and some issues with people on social media being awful to him. Yeah, I knew he had kind of removed himself from it. Yeah. I remember that much. but Yeah, it was after the breakup. So people are horrible. Oh, breaking news, right? Yeah. So, oh, and just like as a final, as a final little thing that I just want to squeeze in there. I know we have four hours of Corey to. We do. I think I mentioned that. To, to get through. But I just wanted to squeeze it in because it's hilarious. Ian Bartholomew, who played Tim's dad, is in Wonka. And apparently in the United Kingdom, when he shows up, people boo in the theaters. And I find that <laughs> Hilarious. I think he's been a pantoming villain as well, which probably doesn't help. <laughs> no. Good for him. And that's Corey News. And that's Corey News. And Helen, once again, it's seamless the way that this just links into our feedback section, Ooh. which I like to call Christmas on Mars. I'm, I'm so glad you've finally given in. <laughs> AKA, everyone's a critic. Noel wrote in the day our last episode <laughs> dropped to say another week flies by like nothing on Separation Street. I'd like to say right off the top that you, Gavin, have a filthy mind. This was back to the <laughs> Oh, when Bukkake. you, yes, yeah. My Bukkake do we re- Do we really need to bring that up again? <laughs> that you didn't know what Kabuki Theatre was? And now the story what so is far. What's wrong with you? I, I'm a ill-educated man. <laughs> And now the story so far. Ed has got to gamble. He's a gambling man. Peter's going to ramble. He's a rambling man. <laughs> Daisy and Jenny prove that morals fly out the door when money comes in the windows 95. Lastly, Paul says, Belle, and poor Roy's back, but not in that way. And that's all I have for now. Noel the secret Lithuanian, or as I've been known <laughs> in some quarters, Calliope Slappy Pants. Feliz Navidad, motherfuckers. Thank you so much, Noel. Feedback. I thought I thought I couldn't be more fond of Noel, and yet here we are. Here we are. Well, hold on to your hats. Feedback is always welcome, believe it or not. Send us your thoughts, and I will probably read them out. Get us at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com, or our DMs are open at Cory Podcast. And now, we'll podcast for coffee. Thanks to Fiona for our coffees this week. Thank you, Fee. Another year and I haven't watched a single episode of Corey, she says. <laughs> but I've listened to every episode of the pod. Truly, I consider you friends at this point, And Aww. I would rather hear you regale me with Tales of the Cobbles than subject <laughs> myself to it. Thanks for all the laughs. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Fiona. That's very generous. <laughs> and thank you to One Noel. Is this, is, is this our secret American Noel? Yes. Who's a friend of the podcast, but says to keep you warm and awake as the days grow colder and the nights grow longer. Thank you very much, Noel, for for additional coffees yes. from Noel this month. We, we really do appreciate We're it. We're rolling in coffee now. And we have, right at the wire before we started recording, a new friend of the podcast. What? Welcome aboard, Shandy. Thank you, Shandy. And welcome. Welcome to our happy family. Shandy says, I've fallen seriously behind on Corey, but your wonderful podcast is helping me catch up. All the love from Canada. Aww. Thank you so much, Shandy. 
Do love those Canadians. Absolutely. And thank you to Fiona and thank you to Noel. The Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month. You can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode as Shandy did this week. Yes. But remember, remember now, Helen, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Hardu Royka Sokadina. This sounds Scandinavian and probably came out of Mary's mouth. That's right, this was Audrey learning oh. Norwegian for her trip to Scandinavia with Sam. Oh, I forgot all about that. It means, have you been smoking your socks? And there's a Norwegian way to accuse people of having an unrealistic pipe dream. Interesting. So there you go. Edutainment. Yes. I was Gavin and you didn't know what day it was. Actually, just listen to the start of this podcast for the start of that podcast. It's like Groundhog Day all over again. Hilarious. A hilarious version of it's like deja vu all over again. We had a Christmas with little to no power and I was sick for most of it. There's always something, isn't there? Yes. We we were almost out of power this, this year because they had really bad storms in the east coast right before right before we left but fortunately my mom bought a new generator so the power came back on we drove home in the aftermath of the storm of the century and you almost peed in a snowbank we drove through canada which allowed me to be confused by having to do two simultaneous conversions in my head to buy gas at 125 minutes this was our longest episode of the year damon learns of jacob's history with harvey and sets out for revenge against david's wishes max heads off for a racist camping trip George sets out to make amends for last year by getting Eileen a present fit for a princess. Remember, he got her a new sofa, but it turned out to be a sofa for, for a, a doll's doll house. house. Yes. Thanks to a crappy, unpublishable article, Daniel makes amends with Daisy ahead of her consultant's appointment. Ahead of Christmas, Summer goes off grid, leaving Billy frantic when he loses access to her precious glucose levels on that app thing. Oh, no. Tyrone keeps his secret Christmas wedding to fizz under wraps by being the worst boyfriend in the world. Mary is looking for companions to go caroling, forcing Brian to come to a very easy decision. And Roy's refusal to use the mobile phone he was gifted for Christmas leaves Nina fuming when she misses out on a special date with Asha. Stephen goes to extraordinary lengths to maintain his air of wealth and success, but suspicions of him grow at home and in Canada. Kathy's driving hasn't improved, Santa gets his steps in, and the estate of Edgar Allan Poe will be in touch. Our moment of the week was Fizz and Tyrone getting married and our boring moment of the week was Daniel's essay in which he stole from the Raven, yes. if you remember, because you're not meant to pause these things and we pause these things. Right, yes. Never more, Daniel, never more. And that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street this time last year. What happened to that whole Brian and Mary romance storyline? Seems to have gone the way of the bullying storyline that we've been Forgot suffering about through the it. last few months. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd like the Mary and Brian story to come back. I'm quite happy to never have the bullying story come back ever again. Absolutely. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. 
Yay! Shall we dive in, my dear, yes, then? Yes, please. Our first storyline of the night is, here come the new owners, just like the old owners, at Christmas. Yay. Last Friday, then, because remember, we only did Monday and Wednesday from our last episode, so we've got an extra an extra episode to get through. Yes. On last Friday, Jenny and Daisy behave suspiciously as they tell folk that they bought the Rovers. Most people are surprised that they got funding from the bank after being turned down the last time. Right, and ask questions to which they kind of bad at answering. <laughs> yes. Jenny particularly shits herself several times. Eventually she gets a call from the estate agent to let her know that there's been another interested party. So it's sealed bids. Dum, dum, dum. Sealed bids, a go-go. And then we don't really see very much more of it until uh, tonight on Friday. At the cabin, Jenny's on the phone to the estate agent who has given them the result of the sealed bid auction thing. Jenny does the old sad news, but it's really good news. And it's really good news. They won the bid. Yay! They've got the rovers. Yay! They can open in the new year. Uh-huh. She and Daisy are cock-a-hoop. Right, yes. Because they're assholes. I, f- I find it hard not to be happy for them. Really? Yeah. You want to be happy for them stealing money from the factory workers? Well, I don't, don't really like a... any of the factory workers. So. You don't like you don't like Michael? You don't like Sally? Yeah. She's independently wealthy, I'm sure. You don't like Izzy, who is a single mom in a wheelchair? Yeah. Doesn't she deserve to have a happy Christmas? Yeah. No, they've stolen from the people on the street. They've stolen, stolen money. But the that, money was already stolen before they got involved in it. Right. But still, it almost put a company out of business and people are working without getting paid. And now they are. You can't be happy for them. I'm still kind of happy for them. Why? It's a failing business that they bought with stolen money. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I know it shouldn't be, but it's just. They're bad people. And we should be ashamed of them. It's just going to take more than that to make me look at Jenny as a bad person, I think. Well, don't you tilt your head at me like that. That's even more you're tilting it. You sit up straight now. Forget everything I said about your ass earlier. Oh, my ass has done nothing wrong in this. (laughs) It's just an odd position to be in thinking that that Jenny has suddenly turned a villain and all this. And I, I'm I'm having trouble reconciling with it. It's not the only thing that I have trouble reconciling with this, this week, so... Yeah. But you're okay with Daisy going back to being a villain. See, that feels like uh, an equally sharp detour from her character's trajectory. She spent so long rehabilitating herself. Exactly. And seems to have fallen into this just super quickly, basically, on the loss of Daniel? Yep. It's like, well, everybody thinks I'm a bad person, so I guess I'm going back to being a bad person. Mm. I tried being a good person, and it didn't work. Oh, well. That's just... Nobody's like that. So Jenny and Daisy tell the regulars at Nina's Rolls they're good news. Toy just thinks it's sad that they can't reopen for New Year. Daisy has ideas to revamp the place, but Jenny wants to preserve the charm... Daisy's quick to remind her that it was the charm that got them in this position in the first place because it wasn't paying the bills. Yeah, but Daisy wants to shove a pool table in there somewhere. <laughs> Daisy's this, ideas are terrible. Well, like a pool table's 
logical. A pool table is not going to help, first of all. Well, it's hardly thinking outside the box, is it? Right. A pub with a pool table? Whatever next? And then she wants to put a pizza oven in the back garden. And some places what, for taking have... selfies against. Right, yeah. A flower wall for people to take selfies against mm. in a in a pub. Now this, Daniel comes in and asks Daisy if she's free for a chat later and they arrange to meet at Brita's in an hour. Daniel visits Daisy and brings Bertie's Christmas card with him. The three of them, pictures of them, holding hands. Bertie has missed her, seeing as she's the only one who pays him any attention. He thinks Daisy has gone away for a while, but Daniel has told him that she's left for good. Yeah, Ed, for some reason, Daniel in the picture looks like um, Carrot Top. Or a razor head. A razor head's hair wasn't orange. Well, you'd never know because it was black and white. It would have been lighter. Daisy says she can always see Bertie whenever she wants, and if she wants to babysit, well, that would be fine too. Mm-hmm. She tells him that she bought the pub, and he's curious where she got the money, but congratulates her and leaves, saying it's just a shame that you couldn't get it to open on New Year. Mm-hmm. They've started calling it New Year's, I've noticed, which is a kind of Americanization of what we've always just called New Year. Well, we say New Year's Eve. So well, you also just say New Year's. What are you doing for New Year's? Yeah, I suppose. Back at the cabin, Jenny is excited about buying a new air fryer for the pub. Daisy decides that she wants to open for New Year's and has already spoken to Waterfords who have agreed for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Daniel has planted the seed. Daisy has not given up on that relationship just yet. And Jenny goes off to fire up the fryer. It's got three trays. It's a good one. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Throw the book at those two. They are terrible, terrible people. This is not good, and people should be happy for them. They stole a quarter of a million dollars from or, Carla. Or pounds. Yes, those two. Pounds is worse, because I think pounds are still higher than the dollar. I could be wrong. I haven't checked lately. Yeah, it's probably about 300 grand in US. Yeah. And, and, as, I, and as I have pointed out multiple times... It's not just Carla they're hurting. It's everybody who works at the factory, including those people that don't talk in the back. It's them that I feel sorry for because they're <laughs> not getting paid any wages because they don't speak. That's right. It's a weird old situation and it's, it's just a big reset button, except the reset button has made two reasonably good characters become two reasonably bad characters. Yes. And we already have enough bad characters on the show. But I do wonder where they're going to have to reach to get the the sales that are, that's going to make all the difference to the business. The bistro has been busier, certainly, yes. uh, since the, the pub has been closed, which kind of makes sense. Right, yeah, because they have the bistro people, and then the people are forced to go to the bistro because the pub's shut. Right. It's almost as though this little collection of side streets can only really sustain one drinking establishment. Because it's just going to go back to the bistro is going to be pretty quiet with Leanne and Nick complaining about how they don't make any money. Right. And then the Rovers is going to be quiet and they're going to be complaining about not making any money. But here right. they really do need to start making some money because they've got, well, they've got this facade, I guess, of mm-hmm. owing the bank a lot of money. Right. Jenny's already said it's huge interest rates. So if the place isn't really turning over, it's going to look pretty suspicious absolutely whereas an actual fact they just paid for it outright right but yeah i don't know i don't know if all this is worth the rovers lingering on like this as we've said before it makes far more sense for the pub to be in 
in dire straits because pubs are in dire straits all over the place. People are drinking less. People are stopping drinking. Right. Make it into something else. Right. Make it into something else. If they did revamp it a little bit, then some of then some of Daisy's ideas wouldn't necessarily be terrible. Maybe two pool tables. Turn no. Where would they put it? They'd have to like take out the dartboard and shove it over in that corner. I don't think the dartboard takes up that much space, does it? Yeah. Well, the dartboard doesn't, but the people playing darts aren't going to be playing darts over a pool table with people playing pool. Now that would I would quite like to see. <laughs> you got a few storylines out of that, surely. It would maybe explain Kirk a bit better as well. <laughs> Couple lawsuits. Oh well. Oh well. We'll see how that goes. Moving on, our next storyline, this was probably the biggest storyline of the week, is Exit, pursued by a Peter at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Last Friday, Peter is still down in the dumps when he takes Carla to one of his meetings. There, he reveals exactly how sad he is, how empty and how his life feels meaningless. He should be living his life twice with his new lover, and here he is barely living one. Carla takes this badly, worries that he's never been happy with her, and so makes plans to get Peter a fabulous present to reignite his love for life. Yeah, well, it's all her fucking fault because she's... And this is why I hate when they put meetings in things like this, because this is not how meetings go. This is not how Alcoholics Anonymous meetings go, because there's not supposed to be any crosstalk. There's not supposed to be prodding by other people for you to tell your story. You know, everything Carla is doing in this meeting is wrong and inappropriate. And somebody should have stopped her and said, well, if Peter's not comfortable sharing that stuff right now, we're not going to push him on it. Mm-hmm. And it's so infuriating. I much preferred a meeting that is gone to by another character and another storyline where people listen and they don't pass judgment, you know, and they let the other person speak. And they're not, like, appalled at the person, <laughs> unlike everybody else. Right. You know, they keep it to themselves if they're, if they're appalled. And it's a, it's a much better representation of what anonymous meetings are like. But anyway, it's, it's, nice, it's nice to hear all of that stuff getting out in the air, though, because we've known this is how, why he, this is how he feels, because we've seen it. We've seen him go to these websites and stuff and talk to other people about it. So it is kind of nice for him to finally be revealing all this stuff to Carla. That shouldn't really come as much of a surprise to her either because really he's kind of had these conversations to some degree whether she has made clear Absolutely. his feelings about going away on this boat. Right, yeah. And she was it's refusing true. to because she couldn't because of the factory. Right. So, I don't know. I don't know either. Anyway... While, anyway. while this goes on, Carla dinges a call from Rob Donovan from prison. This is Carla's brother, who's in prison for bludgeoning the OG Tina to death in 2014. Right, yes. So on Christmas Day, Peter has got Carla a lovely engraved bracelet, which has P and C engraved in it. It's good thinking, Peter. He wants to know where his fucking present is, but she wants to wait until later, which makes him think he's going to get lucky. At number one, it's a non-alcoholic Christmas. Is that a present, though? And, Defensor, you wrap it. It's a non-alcoholic Christmas, and Adam and Daniel have turned up unannounced, seeing as they couldn't be bothered cooking. What a pair of pricks. Yes. So over dinner at number one, the discussion from Tracy is about relationship gap years. This is a thing? 
Oh, this is a thing on Coronation Street. I don't know. I, I hear much more about polyamory being a thing these days than relationship gap years. Mm. Steve warns her to be careful what she wishes for, and then Simon heads off to the fucking pub. Peter reminds him that it's shut. Simon reminds him that there are other pubs. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> that was funny. Amy leaves too. Steve is apparently sick of Tracy's jibes, and so leaves with Adam and Daniel to get wrecked at the bistro. At the bistro, Harry is there in another storyline and is keen to deliver his car to Adam. And they have this really weird conversation where Harry disappears below the bottom of the screen, so it looks like Adam is talking to his penis. <laughs> Adam and Daniel look quiz Steve about the relationship break, suggesting that Tracy is looking at this as a challenge. Meanwhile, Tracy's at the flower shop for some reason, and as she's open, Tommy O wanders in looking for a bunch for his mum. Tracy charges 50 quid for a meagre bunch, and he agrees on the proviso that she calls him for a quote when the shop needs decorating. She or painting. She doesn't recognise him or the name, despite being married to Steve, who's a massive county fan, as we all know. She she recognises the name, but she doesn't know why she recognises the name. He looks like he fancies a bit of that, and so does she. It's all quiet at number one later. Carla takes Peter out the back to give him his present. It's a one-way ticket to Bilbao to join Mickey's crew. She's not coming. Essentially, her present is she's letting him go. So on Boxing Day, the two-hander that's been much lauded isn't really a Mm two-hander. There's, I think, nine people involved in it. But anyway, it's mostly Peter and Carla. And they argue about his one-way ticket to Bilbao which Daniel thinks is in Spain. He's a clever one. Peter thinks this is Carla giving him his marching orders, and she says that he's enough for her, but it's obvious that it doesn't go both ways. Life here is making him unhappy, and it's more than a phase, and she can't unhear the words that she heard at the meeting, him saying how empty he is, how he's sleepwalking through life. He needs fresh air, but she stops him leaving because he needs to decide. Because the plane's going to be leaving tomorrow morning. Right, yeah. That, thanks for not giving him an awful lot of time there, Carla. He doesn't think he can pack up his life in 12 hours, and she tells him that this is the point, to drop all the unnecessary stuff. He accuses her of labelling Simon as unnecessary stuff. What she didn't, but if she had, she'd have been right. He calls her cold. She tells him to fuck off for his walk after all, telling him to think about what he'll be coming home to. So he has a brief walk that's long enough for him to hear some echoes of the past of his relationship with Carla and the amount that and alcoholism other, has played in it. And other women. Yeah. Including Simon's mum. When he gets back, she's watching Love Actually. And I'm like, what the fuck? Does she, does she really not care that as soon as he leaves that she puts on Love Actually? Well, uh, no. Love Actually is the movie she watches when she wants to feel better. She's sad, so she puts Love Actually on, even though it's a terrible movie! It's like I don't know her at all. They snuggle up, though. He says he wants to stay, and not because he's scared. She, though, is terrified. He tells her how much he loves her, how beautiful she is, how no one ever meant as much. How can she want him to leave? She says she doesn't, and the thought is breaking her heart. He asks her to go with him, but she thinks that she's tried that, and she's rooted here. He reminds her that the factory is flying, but she thinks they'd end up resenting each other, and this is really the bit that is jaggy. She says that she believes in him, that he can dig in and survive, but he's running on empty and nothing here can fill him up. He thinks it would be running away. She says he'd be holding on to a life belt. He thinks it would be selfish, that he has a son and a dad to take care of, and she reminds him that he has a big family to look after both of them. He wants to delay. Fuck that, she says. If he thinks about it, he'll lose his nerve. So he agrees. And off he goes to pack. Yeah. Yeah. Which was... uh, 
He has been wanting this. He's been mooning over this. This whole time. And then Carla serves it up to him on a plate. And then he gets mad at her for doing it. She gives him permission to go. And to not worry about her or Simon or anything else. You know, you are empty. You need a change. Here is this change. Free of any sort of baggage. Just go. And he's mad at it. Oh, she says that she hands him it on the plate and he complains about the size of the plate. Right. I think his point is there has to be a a, a way of getting some change that doesn't mean the two of them split up. Right. But is it really a splitting up? Yes. You know. She says so. Yes. They've split up. This is that they've left each other. It's over. Yeah. I don't. I don't necessarily buy that because, you know, they're, they both obviously still love one another. And I mean, this happens all the time where one person goes away for a long extended period of time for whatever reason. War. More war. <laughs> More war. Um, like if, if you work in the entertainment industry, if you have to go away to make a movie or if you have to go away to go on tour. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a cab driver. That sort of thing. Yeah, that that doesn't matter because cab drivers go to war, believe it or not. But <laughs> Peter's not going to war. He's an old man. No, no but he was in the Navy. <laughs> and probably will be for life. Oh, get away to fuck with that nonsense. <laughs> Davy, who still likes his gravy. <laughs> yes, Ugh. he does. Yes. He's he's he likes his gravy with the real estate novelist, but that's that's a different podcast. Um, yeah, I I feel like both of them, both of them recognize that this is needed, but it also feels like both of them. And and I think the reasoning is because Chris Gascoigne has kind of said, I'm I'm more or less done here, but I might come back. You know, he's being very coy about about that maybe floating up there in the air somewhere. But Well, I have thoughts on that. I'm gonna keep that till we're done with with this days at least. Right, yeah. So you know, so if it weren't for that, I feel like this conversation would ha- would be going very, very differently. That it's like that it's more like a gap year that Tracy was talking about. Mm. Cause it's 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 obvious they still love one another. So, I, you know, I feel like we can all kind of hold on to a little bit of, of hope. But I also feel like his reaction to this is ridiculous, especially when it comes to, like, trying to throw Simon in his face, in her face, because he doesn't really make that much of an effort to find Simon before he leaves. Well, yeah, let, let's finish this off and then we'll, we'll come back to the right. more wider points. So they have the last supper. Speed Dolls didn't carry out. He wants to know if they should check in with each other. No, it's not from Speed Doll. It's from someplace else. Because Carla says, don't tell Yasmin. Oh, okay. Great. He wants to know if they should check in with each other, but she thinks that would be poking the bruise too much. So they're going cold turkey on each other. If she's setting him free, she needs to kick away the crutch. She tells him not to hate her. He says that he couldn't. 
So the next day, Ken, Tracy, Daniel, Adam, Amy, Leanne and Toya have gathered to say their goodbyes. No Simon, who apparently doesn't know about these sudden and inexplicable developments. Toya gives him a kiss. Leanne doesn't. Ha. Ken and Peter say things without saying them that they're not sure that they'll see each other ever again. Carla walks him to the tram station and he reaches for her hand as they walk by the pool hall. They tell each other that they love each other, but this is the right thing to do. You're always with me, he says. Even when I'm not, she says, which is a lovely call back to 2021 before his transplant. Mm -hmm. They kiss and she walks away. He waits for her to look back, but she doesn't. And when she eventually does look back, he's already gone. <laughs> Listening to Time Has Told Me by Nick Drake. Sitting on the tram to Bilbao and far away from Coronation Street. Right. Meanwhile, there's a joke Santa passed out in the... Yes. <laughs> or, the, or the real Santa. Who knows? And this brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. How were your eyeballs following Peter's exit? Hashtag Corey. Hashtag Pexit. Dry as a bone. Slightly moist. Pretty damp. Or soggy AF. I was actually kind of dry. It was beautiful and it was lovely and I like that Nick Drake song, but we've been building to this for so long, you know, at this at this point I was just Pretty Damp was ten point six percent, slightly moist was fourteen point seven percent, soggy AF was fifteen point one percent, and dry as a bone was fifty nine point six percent. Okay. I don't feel so bad now. And this and this was me. I thought it was a very well-acted set of scenes. Yes. And I thought the end of it, particularly the, the last day, but as he's walking away, I thought was was really good. But I can't help feeling that the way that this is kind of falling out doesn't make an awful lot of sense. And the way that he's going to go, I, I don't think they've convinced me that this is the way that it should end. And, I mean, there were lovely bits in, in those final scenes. Him... Reaching for her hand, the shot of the pool hall where your much lauded New Year's conversation happened, mm -hmm. and and the looking back thing. The looking back thing is a. It's kind a, of a trope now, isn't it? It is a trope, but as someone who has done that walk away from my family as I was getting onto the plane to come here, the temptation right. is to look back, but then the temptation is don't look back because you don't want the last thing that you see of these people for a long time crying. Right. And you don't want them to see you upset, so you just right, keep yeah. on walking. And it's a very it's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, you've, you've walked life. away from me in airports yeah. like that and, and, it's, and felt it's, that way. It's a, tough, it's a tough thing to do. It is. But I, and this goes for the, the Christmas episodes as well. The Christmas episode, I liked the fact that there was no big drama in it. And I like it that it was mostly throwaway. Because there was only really one scene that meant anything mm -hmm. out of anything that happened in Coronation Street on Christmas Day, and that was the, I guess the the Peter stuff right at the very end, which they could arguably have left until Boxing Day, yeah. Anyway, so it wasn't really much that made any difference. But in their conversations, I just kept on thinking there must be, there has to be another way of doing this. I know what you mean, and I know what they mean. Mm -hmm. That if it was just left as it was, Peter's resentment would build, and they would probably split up on worse terms where they where they weren't still in love with each other. Right, and you know, and the fact that they are still in love with each other means that there's a chance somewhere down the line that they get back together. 
But all she ever does is firefight at that factory. And and I don't know I don't know how long that's sustainable. But for the moment she's rescued that again and they're on somewhat of a um solid ground. I don't know why she couldn't just go with him for at least a holiday just to see how it would go. How that never crossed her mind, how she just couldn't leave because the factory's so important to her. The factory was so important to her just a few months ago that she left it. She has mentioned that she has done this before and hated it. And I can see that. Carla is not the kind of person you could stick on a boat. That's not who she is. She's very type A. She needs to be the boss. She needs to be working. She needs to be moving. She cannot be stuck on a boat. Mm. That does not fit her personality at all. And I think a big part of this is that they need separation from one another because they have been getting on one another's tits an awful lot and being overprotective of one another and being codependent upon one another an awful lot instead of working on their own issues. I think it is important for Peter to go away for many of the same reasons that Ryan went away that there are just too many reminders of terrible, terrible things. Mm. And and they need distance from it, you know? This is why I live in Michigan and not in Connecticut. This is true. I think, though, there are, there's certainly a lesson here of being careful what you wish for. So many people wanted Carl and Peter to get back together again and for Carl and Peter to get married. And it happened... And then the show realises that it has nothing of an, an idea or a clue what to do with them now that they're married. It's like Niles and Daphne. It is like Niles and Daphne. You stick them together. The fans have been begging for it. Mm-hmm. Now what? Yeah. It's Ross and Rachel all over again. And yeah, it's... But, and, and, and so it comes to this. But you know, I also kind of feel like the show shot themselves in the foot with this because they got them together and then they had Carla have a nervous breakdown and and a psychological break and she has a partner who can't really deal with that because he has his own psychological and mental problems as all addicts do mm. you know so that led to the whole codependency and being overprotective and being suspicious of one another so the show kind of pushed them in not a great direction where they weren't able to, they, they weren't going to be able to sustain this. And I quite liked the moments that we would get of Peter and Carla where they weren't the main storyline, mm-hmm. you know, where they're just being adorable and deplorable with one another, kind of in the background of other people's stories. And I felt like that worked a lot. You know, and and that maybe because of the popularity of that couple, they pushed, they pushed too hard to give them hard hitting storylines that were just going to break them apart. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were never going to be a couple that just sat in their slippers. No, Peter didn't have to be the one to kill Stephen. I still am kind of mad that Stephen's dead and not in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a choice. A choice was made in that storyline 
that was going to create yet another wedge for this relationship. Yeah. One thing I, I wanted to mention about his his farewell mm-hmm. message that the show or the Coronation Street Twitter bill does watch Chris Gascoigne's heartfelt farewell mm-hmm. as he departs the show. I didn't think it was heartfelt one little bit. That was a man that was relieved that I was watching. Mm-hmm. He was glad to be done with this. Yeah. And he was glad to be going. Mm-hmm. And his uh, who knows what happens in the future thing mm-hmm. was absolutely just done because he's expected to say it. You think that, so? That, that's a man who is who is done and is grateful to be leaving. Mm-hmm. That's what I took from it. I may be absolutely wrong because I don't know the man right. from, from Adam Barlow. <laughs> but... That was what his body language was telling me. Yeah. He was he was pleased. Yeah. He, he did seem like he was really going to miss those two coats, though. <laughs> well, they're lovely coats. Yeah. He should take them. Just like Millie did the uh, yeah, that s- coat of hers. Steal it. Who's which, going to say you know, is very similar to a coat she wears in Doctor Who. Right. It may be the same coat. That would be hilarious. Now, at this point, I'm thinking the whole Simon thing is just another excuse to send him on a bender and maybe start the beginnings of an alcoholism storyline. Mm-hmm. We seem to be a little skirting about a little bit in the past couple of weeks. He's been very, spending an awful lot of time in the pub and getting drunk and stuff like that. Because we're not finished with the storyline yet. No. On Wednesday, Simon gets home after a two-day bender to find that his dad has fucked off to be a, on a boat. So Simon has to make a Simon face. Callie reveals that she was the one who bought the ticket and encouraged Peter to go, but she promises to look after Simon, who is in a mood thinking about himself. All the people he thought Peter loved, he obviously didn't. And he angrily leaves again. I think Simon was fully justified in being angry in that scene. So do I. At the factory, Sean and Izzy are doing Carla's tits right in, so she decides to work from home. And on her way, she bumps into a man in a walking frame who wants 20 quid from her for the inconvenience, and she tells him, quite rightly, to fuck off. The man in the walking frame goes to Carla's. She thought he was his delivery guy, but after some supposed wisecracks, he reveals himself to be Bobby, Rob's Donovan's Bobby. son. Bobby. 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 Phone. Carla didn't think Rob Bobby. had a son. Another did Rob, seemingly. That boy ain't right. Bobby explains that his mum had to let him go because of the big C and pointing to him in the direction of his real dad. This explains the recent calls from Rob that Carla has been dinging. Speak of the devil, he calls again. This had better be good, she says. And after speaking with Rob, Carla is shocked that Bobby's mum is still alive. It turns out, in a hilarious turn of events, when Bobby said the big C, he didn't mean cancer, he meant Big Colin, his mum's new boyfriend, who threw him out because of his disability, he says. According to Rob's mum, Bobby is a pain in the arse, and I know who I believe. Bobby <laughs> asks to stay for a couple of weeks until he finds his own place. And after advice from Roy, Carla agrees to let Bobby stay. Bobby has already eaten Carla's Chinese leftovers and refuses to wash up because of his disability. On Friday, <laughs> on Friday, Carla is worried about Simon and can't get him on the phone. Meanwhile, she has to put up with Bobby's demands for breakfast cereal and Kung Fu chat. So they're on the street just as the delivery guy shows up. He's got stuff for Bobby. It's all his fucking stuff, including a trumpet, which Bobby can't play. It also seems that Bobby can't play the drums. 
Carla is breathless as she humps all of Bobby's stuff up the stairs and into the flat. Then Simon arrives to find his new cousin. Simon tells Bobby that he can have his bed and he'll fuck off and live with Leanne for a while. Carla sends Bobby to Which the chippy. Which makes chip- sense. Sends Bobby to the chippy while she talks to Simon about Peter. Carla doesn't want Simon to feel pushed out and if there's any luck, Bobby won't be here long. Simon says it's fine. He doesn't feel like he wanted to be the one to put the guy with, with cerebral palsy onto the sofa. And it's not right being in the flat when his dad's not there. The hug and Carla admits that she's already had about enough of Bobby. So, so have I, Carla. So, where's, where's, so have where's I. The fish and chips? And it turns out Bobby's found his way to the rape hotel and is trying his hand at chatting up Debbie. Carla arrives looking for her chips. He'd sent a text message to her saying that he was penniless and stranded. And she drags him back home. How can you be penniless and stranded when the chippy is right across the street? And that's that, that's the end of that storyline. Oh, fucking hell. Now, now Bobby seems to have been a bit of a divisive character and there's a divisive introduction into the show. I can tell by your reaction that you're maybe not his biggest fan at the moment, but I think you'll warm to him in time. You think wrongly. I knew nothing about this guy. Uh, I knew that Carla's nephew, Bobby, was going to be showing up. I didn't know that he was going to be, like, the worst (laughs) stereotype of a person with a disability ever presented on screen. Now, Jack Carroll does have cerebral cerebral palsy. palsy. Yes. And I didn't know who he was. But I think he was on Britain's Got Talent. I don't know if he won it or not, but he was on Britain's Got Talent. A few years back. He's a, been on a couple of other things too comedian. as well. That's the only thing that I could find on the But to be fair, I wasn't looking no. all that closely. His act seemed to be lots of jokes about disability. Uh-huh. Which, if you were an able-bodied person making those jokes, they'd be terrible jokes. Right. But as a disabled person making it, you're not punching down, I guess. But there's only so much of jokes about being disabled. Being disabled, I think you can really do, and people then want to see other things, right? Right, yeah. And I wasn't too sure if he delivered that. So no. I, so I wasn't sure about him to begin with. I I found myself quite liking him, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. I, I thought he was quite funny. You like Stephen. I think, I, think, I think they need to tone down the bits that are... So obviously bits of stand-up. Right. I think I've drawn this comparison before, that, that we all know somebody who's always on. Right. Who's always trying to tell a joke or sing a song or do right. something. You just, for the love of fuck, just settle down and, and stop doing that. I was married to that at one point. <laughs> right. Well, I have a cousin like that. Yes, you do. And, and love him to death. I have a whole family like that. <laughs> I love him to death, but... Just sometimes you just want to see, without the face, without the act, right? Just, just drop the act, right? And he kind of feels like that sort of person, right? And I don't know. I've, I was I didn't like him the first time I saw the episode, and I was watching it the second time to take my notes. I started to laugh and start to think, you know, I think he's doing what he's meant to be doing here. I don't think you're meant to love him. I think you're. I think you're meant to find him annoying, and because of that. It kind of becomes almost now. I can't believe I'm about to say this. It almost becomes Stuart Lee, who not at who, all, who deliberately 
tries to antagonise you by repetition and saying the same thing over and over again to the point that it's not funny and then well, he keeps on doing it and then it becomes funny again. Right, but Stuart Lee is actually funny yeah, and a genius. Well, well, sure, right. I don't think Jack Carroll's a comedy genius, but I, I was finding humour in this this character and in, in this role. I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt for the time being. We have said, and we are not the only people who have said this. We are not the only people who have said this about Coronation Street. There are too many characters on the show. And that's absolutely true. There are absolutely, positively, far too many characters on this show. And that means that people get short shrift. And that means people, are, it, people aren't where you would expect them to be in different scenes and different scenarios. And it means that when they introduce new people... It takes a very long time for anyone to really accept them and begin to like them and for them to become full-fledged human beings on the show as opposed to two-dimensional caricatures of people. And then they introduce this character who is just a 2D caricature of a person. You know, he's there to be annoying. Yes. And terrible. And and again, not a great representation of people with disabilities. He's lazy and annoying and blames his disability for not being able to wash dishes or make toast. Yeah, that seems to be his thing is to to use his disability to get out of doing things that he doesn't want to do. Right. That, that seems to be his... And I feel like that work that can work in a stand-up routine, but it doesn't translate very well to an actual character on an actual show. Because in a stand-up routine, it's you. You know? It is you, and you are... Punching at yourself. Well, that's a version of you. Right. But you are punching at yourself. You know, you are representing yourself. But when you are on a show, you are representing people with your dis- disability. You know, Paul's character or Peter Ash's character has MND in, in part to be a representation of peop- of real people with MND and to educate people watching the show about what it's like to have MND and go through these stages. I, I don't feel like this character was brought on to do that. And I don't, I don't feel like this is somebody who we, who we are meant to warm to. And it also feels like piling on of poor Carla for the love of her life to have just left and now we're giving her an annoying nephew she didn't know she had yeah that kind of got me right away that that bit off it was where's her time to grieve because now she just feels like she doesn't have time to think about it and and therefore we don't see her with time to think about it and now it's almost like she doesn't care and she doesn't have the time to 
to care for Simon as well and to grieve with Simon who has his own grief to go through, you know, and now we'll only have Leanne to help him with that. And maybe Toya, but it's like, Bobby, is this, Bobby stole the chip money. Is this character needed at this time? And I think the answer is no. Without a shadow of a doubt, there's far too many characters on the show. There's probably 22 many characters on the show. Right. If you had a, a smaller cast, you'd have a more focused set of storylines right. on people that you know and you like. They are very guilty of bringing in new characters to be the latest disposable racist or mm-hmm. the latest disposable bully who'll be on the show for six months and go away mm-hmm. or Stu's family who nobody cares about. Right, and, and that's, they're gone And now. that's absolutely the problem with the Stu storyline is we don't really care about Stu, we don't really care about his family. And no. that's that, that's the issue that's been on that storyline that's been going on mm-hmm. for 500 years or and so. And one of the reasons why we don't care about Stu is that they brought him on as a very particular character and then just completely axed and 180 that character and made him into something else that we didn't that we that we don't care for. I that, don't feel like they've brought Bobby in for those same reasons. He does feel disposable because I, he's very two-dimensional. I'm, I'm remembering Ryan's um we've spoken about it many times his uh, debut where he drunkenly fell onto a table and something that surprisingly wasn't nominated for an Oscar. But this I don't, I don't know I don't know that there's been a character that's been kind of like Bobby recently that's and it is so divisive. So many people just absolutely hate the character. Yeah. And because he's and, annoying and as fuck. Wish wish bad, bad things and on the him. show isn't great right now anyway. So they It's not. So they add somebody who's truly terrible to watch. You know, no offense to Jack Carroll, because I'm sure I'm sure he's a very lovely person. But you know, here's the thing. We have we have characters on the show who have disabilities. I've mentioned Paul. We have Alex, who we don't see enough of. Mm-hmm. But every time Alex is on, he is delightful and hilarious. He tears it up. He tears it up and he doesn't rely on the fact that he has Down syndrome. It never relies on the fact that he has Down syndrome. And he's hilarious. Right. Izzy can be quite funny. And it has nothing to do with the fact that she is in a wheelchair. It 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 feels like this is I, I don't know why he's here. It doesn't yeah, really serve a purpose. I know I I, I get where you're going and I feel you're kinda of maybe skirting around saying this a little bit, but he needs to be more than jokes about his disability. Right. And and I agree. And I think and I hope he will become that. I saw something in the performance and more from the performance than the character, if I mm-hmm. if I'm being perfectly honest. More from Jack Carroll's performance than Bobby as a character. Right. But I saw something in it that I quite liked that made me smile, made me chuckle. It, it was his ooh, nice nice phone voice that he said to Carol that to Carla that seemed to be 
either unscripted or they shot it to make it look like it was a bit of an ad lib that I actually did laugh out loud at. And I don't typically laugh out loud at things when I'm watching yeah. them on my own. And if it, if, and in fairness, if, if that was, if that was his humor throughout, I don't think he'd be as annoying, you know, if he was just kind of quippy and stuff like Todd, yes. just quippy. That's fine, but there, there just really feels like there is nothing redeeming. There was not one moment where he was not doing something kind of terrible. I think terrible is maybe strong, and and you know, awful, and just kind of why he's a lazy good for nothing. That's pretty much it. Right? Yeah, and. Does Carla right now need a lazy, good-for-nothing nephew that she didn't know she had and that her murder brother didn't know he had the son? And then, oh, by the way, I have a, I have a long-lost son and he's on your doorstep. It, it, it's just, it's not working for me. Oh, well, I'll wait for you to warm to him. I never will. As, as I have. Let's move on because we've been talking about this for quite something our next storyline is buy the book at christmas so last week as predicted roy finds a copy of that book he's looking for for evelyn's christmas but it's in easedale cassie tags along with him to get it and when the woody breaks down she steals a porsche that's been left at the garage over christmas they pick up the book successfully but when cassie returns the car to the garage she notices a ding in the rear panel so she makes it look like it was hit by a trolley of tools abby's trolley of tools mm. So Christmas Day, and in the roles, Evelyn, Mary and Roy are preparing for the meal. Evelyn is adding sherry to everything. Yes. Opening gifts later, Roy has been given a yoga ball, which later Mary will bounce on for, com- for comedic effect. Right. For extended comedic, comedic effect. But gives, it's, yeah, it's, it's a ball. That, it's a yoga ball. Yeah, but you can also use it, if you have back issues, you can, you can lay down on it and roll on it. It's a certain exercise for your back. Or if you're Mary, you can bounce up and down on it. Right. Pretending that it looks like you're having sex. He gives Evelyn her present and she is absolutely overwhelmed by it. But typical Evelyn, she does her best to cover up her emotions. And typical Roy, he doesn't notice. On Wednesday, it's back to work for Cassie. And on her way, she gets thanks from Roy for the tip about the book. As Kevin and Abby open up the garage, Roy sees a fancy Porsche and realises that she must have stolen the car. She begs him not to spill his guts about it. And in the garage, Kev notices a ding on the rear panel. What? And it's Abby's tool trolley that's next to the car, so obviously Kev's going to blame her. Apparently this needs a proper paint job that'll cost a fucking fortune. And in the roles, that's Cass- true. Cassie goes in to speak with Roy, who is not impressed at being complicit in a car theft. He needs to be honest with Abby and Kev. She asked for a break, saying that she only borrowed the car to help him out and he did nothing wrong. Tell him and she'll get the sack and probably kicked out. Does he really want to cause Evelyn this grief? And obviously he doesn't. Back at the garage, for some reason Cassie starts working on Kev against Abby, wondering that maybe she's back on the smack again if she's been so careless. But then Abby comes along and reckons that she must have done the damage after all. She apologises. Give Kev's a hug. And everything, everything seems to be fine. Yeah. And this seems to annoy Cassie. And that's because she far. wants to get in Kev's pants as for some reason. This Why does everybody want to get in Kev's pants? What has he got in there that everybody wants? That reminds me, though. I haven't seen 
the grotty jacket in a while. Oh, I think he got rid of it. His, his grotty members only jacket. He finally got rid of it. And that also reminded me that I don't think I saw their kid or Abby's kid, whose name escapes me. Was it Alfie? Yes, it's Alfie. Was it Alfie? It is Alfie. Yeah. Alfie and the bistro on Christmas Day, they were complaining about the set menu, remember? Right, yeah. I'm more shocked that their kid whose name starts with a J. <laughs> Jack. Jack looks like he's 25. He's suddenly in his mid-20s, what yes. Happened? What happened to that kid? All of a sudden, he's a grown-up. He's, he's smoking down cigarettes. Wine. He's got some blonde woman on his lap. He's got a key still Ferrari. What's been going on? Jack is suddenly mid child support. This is incredible development. Wow. Yeah, so I guess we haven't really touched on these these points a lot mm-hmm. recently, but Evelyn does seem to be looking at Roy in a different way. Yeah. And Cassie does seem to be looking at Kev in a particular way. And we've always kind of thought that Cassie was Abby 2.0. Yeah. Now she really now wants she to really be. Now she really is wanting to be 2.0. Abby 2.0. Mm. Oh, well. Moving on. Moving Our next storyline is Jingle Bell Sucks at Christmas. Last Friday, little big shots are putting on a Christmas show in the community garden. Gemma can't wait, but can't take the quads on their own. And with Chesney working, making Christmas kebabs, Paul is roped into chaperone. But disaster strikes when Paul's chair runs out of battery. And by the time they get there, the concert is finished. But Joseph is encouraged to do an encore. And it turns out that he can't really sing. In fact, no, he he's sounds... so bad that everyone starts to cry. Right, yeah. Why would they subject that kid to that? Can you whistle? Because you can't sing. Ruby can sing. Why didn't Ruby have the solo? And it was supposed... Well, yeah, it was the solo. Right. But that's not the point about Little Big Shots, is it? It's participation. But I tell you, sure. Glenda is raking in, the money, <laughs> raking in the money on this. Yeah, as, by, she, as she should. By telling Joseph that he can sing. Yeah. Poor Joseph. Poor Joseph. I expected them to have the voice of an angel. I, I did too. I was like, <laughs> oh, he's going to be great. I was like, oh. Oh, dear. <laughs> that was funny. What the hell, Poor man? Joseph. What? So on Christmas Day, Gemma hell? turns up at Billy's with a holly bush that she hacked down with a bread knife on the red wreck. She wants to know when Paul and Billy will be ready for Christmas, but Paul claims to be hungover and Billy says he has church business. But when she leaves, it turns out that they just want their hole. So no church business for Billy after on all on Christmas Day. What the hell? I was like, why is that man not in church? It gets worse. It does get worse. At the Quad House, Dev has brought over enough expired goods for everyone. Wait a minute. Where the fuck's Granny Linda? Wasn't Granny Linda supposedly coming for Christmas? Yeah. Seriously, what happened there? Gemma calls Paul to see where uh, he's got to and is worried when there's no answer. Todd's passing by the flat when Chesney's buzzing the God flat. He's been sent by Gemma to check on Paul. Worried that Paul may have uh, fallen and Billy's at church. Todd tries to shoulder the door open. Which was hilarious. (laughs) But but Chesney has a key, so they just let themselves in. And once upstairs, rather than shouting on someone, they just barge into the bedroom where Billy is presumably rimming Paul or something, and Chesney, who's homophobic, let's remember, throws up in his mouth a wee bit. Later, at the courthouse, they're chatting with Bernie on FaceTime from the Nick, 
and they waste the time that they have together talking about Paul and Billy getting their hole. Inexplicably, they all start singing Away in a Manger. Except Billy, who doesn't join in and appears not to know the words. I was singing along because of course I was. You forgot to mention that after they leave the flat, we see Billy run in hilariously with a with a Christmas wreath around his hoo-ha <laughs> <laughs> and a Santa hat on. He was shagging his husband wearing a Santa hat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Such a turn on. This is the level that we were served on Christmas Day, by the way. <laughs> it was pitched at this level pretty much the entire episode. Ah, oh, you know, and I mean... What did you think about the Christmas Day episodes? Well, or episode? since I watched all of them today... Hard for you to tell. It, it, yeah, it didn't really matter. But it was definitely not the everybody gathered around the piano on the street singing Christmas carols no, and holding hands and kumbaya. I kind of felt that way as well. I mean, there's something for it not being a big high-octane Christmas event thing. Mm-hmm. And I quite liked the character-driven stuff. And right. I quite liked that nothing happened. Right. But I just wanted it to be better. Hmm. It bored me quite a bit. Yeah. Maybe maybe if we had gotten more full frontal male nudity. <laughs> because God knows we've been seeing an awful lot of full frontal male n- at nudity in the movies lately. On Wednesday. I think God's flat. Looking at you, Barry <clears throat> Kogan. Gemma. My God, you'll take your eye out with that. <laughs> Other God flat, Gemma's desperate to talk about Paul and Billy getting their hole. Paul is in a bit of pain and looking forward to his PA, Jim, Shelley's former PA, to arrive. He's relieved that it's someone he knows, or has at least met twice. Right. But when the PA arrives, it's not Jim, unless Jim has turned into a short black man from Nigeria. His name is Moses. Jim is going to be out for a few weeks with a slip disc. Paul isn't sure about this, but Billy has seen Moses' Google reviews and he's apparently top-notch. Billy thinks he might be even able to part the Red Sea or tile that bit under the cooker hood. Paul is borderline racist here. (laughs) Paul's back spasms, meanwhile, are getting worse. Moses continues to try and ingratiate himself with Paul, who is upset that he's not Jim. But another back spasm gives Moses an excuse to leap into action and his massage techniques win Paul round. So now Paul is being nice to Moses, who reveals mysteriously that he left Nigeria because of personal problems. They arrange for Moses to come back tomorrow. Probably the fact that gay men are stoned in Nigeria. Yes. Not not the good kind of stoned either. No. On Friday, Paul wants to go for a walk, but Billy has church business to take care of. Because, obviously he has, because it's, what, four days after Christmas? Right. Paul's back is much better just as Moses arrives and he volunteers to take Paul out and get some shopping done and some fresh air. Yeah. Todd gets back to the street from another storyline and runs into Eileen and they both spy Moses and Paul... Todd likes a look at Moses, so nips over to lend a hand in a considerate friend type way. Yes, and it's so nice to see Eileen. <clears throat> it is. Up in the God Flat, Todd is unusually tongue-tied around Moses, which doesn't fool Paul for a second. It's so cute. Todd denies notes and how fucking fit Moses was until Paul asks if he wants to ask Moses for a bed bath of his own. A sponge bath. And, be and he's like, no. And then he's like, he does that? <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> and the would be all the talk is of Moses, the hunky PA. Billy, Eileen and Paul wind Todd up But he doesn't deny Fancying the look of that Yeah, And that's as far as we get with that this week He wants a piece Yeah this was I mean it was It was basically just The continuation of the MND story 
more than more than anything. Um, it was, but it also seemed to be a Coronation Street version of uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, with Moses being Rudolph and Paul being all the other reindeer. And Santa Claus. Because he didn't like Moses until Moses could do something for him. Right, yeah. Now, it was just because Moses wasn't Jim, right? That was the reason. I think that was the reason, because Paul's never shown any signs of being remotely racist right. in the past. Yeah, yeah. But the way the way that he complains, if you don't know, you would think that he was racist. Just because... And I, I'm sure he would react that way if a white guy or a... Who wo- also wasn't Jim. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I'm sure he would react the same way. Yes, me too. But because it is this black Nigerian man, it it became uncomfortable how much he was complaining about it. Now, I didn't know that they made any conversation round about Moses' sexuality. They haven't. But when Paul and Todd and Billy are talking about it and Paul's Uh like, well, just ask him out because the worst they can do is say no and he probably will say no. Not because he's straight, but because it's Todd. Todd. Right. And if it wasn't for that, those Nigerian personal problems that they Uh just kind of slipped in there a little awkwardly, I felt, to draw attention to it. And to be fair, there's a long list of things that could be personal problems why you would want to move away from Nigeria. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's assumed, you know, and I mean, if you don't know somebody's sexuality and you find them attractive, it doesn't hurt to ask them out. The worst they could say is, no, sorry, I'm, you know, straight or whatever, you know, so it is sound advice and it would be nice to see Todd with somebody. Yeah, it's... Either your first question is, are you gay? Or your first question is, do you want to go out with me? And by asking the second question, you're also kind of asking the first question without asking right, it. So yeah. I guess it's efficient. Right. If nothing else. Would, would you fancy a drink or something? Right. You know. And it's funny because Billy's like appalled, like, no, oh, he's here for one reason and one reason only. And, and Paul rightly says to Billy. Yeah, he's here to help me. He's here to help me. <laughs> Todd can ask him out. That's fine. Right. What is wrong with you? It would be nice to see Todd in a relationship. He's been single for far too long for a man who looks like that. <laughs> what are you saying, Broom? He's a, he's a handsome man. He's cute. And he's funny. He is funny. Yeah. Yeah. He should absolutely. It makes no sense that he's not with somebody. Right. Yeah. The, the show does seem to like uh, biracial couples. It seems to be a, a, a trend. Seeing them trying to shoulder barge down that door was... It was hilarious. The funniest thing that was on the show this week. It was hilarious. I love Todd so much. When he's not with Billy. (laughs) Yeah, never with Billy. Never with Billy. All right, our penultimate storyline tonight is Dick and Dom at Christmas. (laughs) On Wednesday, Anina rolls Eliza's permanently down in the dumps because she missed Dom who has cut her loose over Christmas. Stu doesn't know why anyone is surprised. This is so Dom. At home, she tries to cheer Eliza up by threatening her with family time. She gets a text from Dom telling her that he'll be staying in Germany and that you'll smell her later. She tries to call him, but he dings the call and then she runs up the stairs distraught. Stu looks worried that he's done the wrong thing by paying off Dom to fuck off out of Eliza's life. 
And later, Eliza still distraught that Dom doesn't want to see her. Is there something wrong with me, she says? Well, you could blow your nose once in a while. She thinks she drives everyone away. So later, still distressed that he's obviously a despicable human being, Stu calls Dom and leaves a message saying that he thinks he's made a mistake. On Friday, in Nina's roles, Yasmin and Roy are talking about Eliza and how Dom isn't coming home. Eliza feels abandoned and Stu is taking it hard too. But not like that. To cheer everyone up, Yasmin suggests that they, Evelyn and Stu, all go out for dinner at Speeddal later. So in Speeddal, Stu gets a message that he quickly ignores when Yasmin comes in. He's not in the mood to go out with Roy and Evelyn, but Yasmin insists. Where are we going? Here. (laughs) She tells him to forget about Dom, and as soon as his back's turned, he calls Dom and begs for a call back again. So Dom finally calls Stu back, and Stu admits to making a mistake. He's sorry, and he wants Dom to come home, but it sounds like Dom tells him to fuck off. Yeah. Yasmin appears at the back of Stu and catches half the conversation. Dom apparently now wants nothing to do with Eliza because Stu warned him off. And also he got money. Yasmin is shocked by this, that Stu had retained the services of the PI. That was who Leslie was, and has been lying to her. So Stu admits to actually paying Dom off. Yeah. Yasmin doesn't think Stu had a right, and if there was a wrong in this situation, it's Stu. Yep. He insists he was doing the right thing, but now Dom refuses to come home. She doesn't know what Eliza did to deserve a family like this, and now they have to prepare for dinner with Roy and Evelyn. So Evelyn, Roy, Yasmin and Stu sit for dinner, and in an odd fight over a glass of water, Yasmin seemingly deliberately pours a carafe of water all over herself and Roy, so they quickly have to leave to get changed leaving Evelyn and Stu to sit uncomfortably together. Yes, that was she's, hilarious. She's stuck with Captain Birdseye here. <laughs> Stu and Evelyn struggle to find conversation. She's hungry and bored and has no idea where Roy and Yasmin have gone. And eventually Yasmin shows up, but with no Roy. Evelyn has had enough and she fucks off. And that's as far as we get yes, with that this week. Carrying, carrying the tray of... of <laughs> Delicious onion badges, etc. Yes, yes, because there always has to be some onion badges in, the, in a, in a storyline. Yes. yes, one of which will get traded up to a motorbike. Yes. Oh, Peter, you left too soon. Yes. Oh, do, do, do you care about this? Not really. Not really, no. I am I am sad for Eliza, but, and I am glad, I'm glad that Stu came clean to Eileen. Or, not Eileen, Yasmin. <laughs> it's been a long night. Yes. And I don't know what day it is. <laughs> so. And Eileen and Yasmin kind of rhyme. They do rhyme. They both end in een. <laughs> so I'm happy that is like out in the open. I don't think it helps Eliza though. Necessarily. She must know nothing of this ever. No, she must know nothing of this ever. But also, I don't know if Yasmin can do much to rectify the situation no they can't force dom to come back unless they pay him more money right yeah that's just going to make matters worse but which part of this did Stu think was a great idea which part of his explanation to someone if he had to explain it made him out to be the good guy yeah none of it dom i didn't like the cut of his jib so i offered him 10 grand to go to his other family and if if i had a private investigator watching them right yeah send them back to germany to his other family who found out he has his other family so so the so the fact that so so while he could have had leverage about the other family it's it's done away with by the fact that he knows this because he hired a private investigator 
and yeah. and then didn't let her go when Yasmin said, you need to let this person go. Yeah. And then lied about who she was when Yasmin came into the bistro. Well, th- this is where it, it starts to go bad for Stu because just because Yasmin says you need to let this go doesn't mean he has to let this go. Right. But if he's going to keep at it, then he probably... It probably should be honest with Yasmin about it, unless right. he's ashamed of what he's doing, which right. clearly he was. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really care about <sighs> any of this. If if Dom comes back or stays in Germany, who honestly gives a fuck one way or the other? I honestly don't know what the show wants us to feel about that character. Which one? Dom. No, oh no, that's so confusing now. Which is which I think is the worst part of the storyline. Is that this guy was presented as kind of creepy and going behind the backs of Eliza's guardians mm-hmm. to start a relationship with her. And then seems really seedy because he wants to, he wants Stu to pay him off and then slowly become, starts to, and is a drunk. Let's, let's not forget the drinking issues. Because not only did he pick up Eliza drunk and nobody said anything until like a week after, but also the reason why he was not in the good books of his family in Germany is because he was driving drunk and got them into an accident. Right. So. He should be a wrong one, but but somehow. He's he's, not. He's become better than Stu still. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a really clumsy storyline. And, and it has no clear direction. No. And I just I just can't care about it. No. Because I don't know enough about these characters. They're right. just too fly by night. Right. Yeah. And because the stew we fell in love with Oh, that's long gone. Is not the stew that exists now. No. He was better homeless. All right. Our last storyline tonight is Jawabet at Christmas. Last Friday, Ed is all set for Christmas, but his plans to be with Aggie in Birmingham are thrown when Tony visits him at home and demands to be paid. And he told Aggie he was on his way as well, and now he isn't. Right, yeah, but the whole reason why he decides to go and spend Christmas with Aggie is to get away from Tony. Oh, sure. Because the idea was planted in his head when Ronnie said, hey, we should all just jump on a train and go spend Christmas with Aggie. Mm -hmm. And what Ed heard was... I should just go by myself and jump on a train and spend Christmas with Aggie so that I can avoid Tony. Ed still doesn't have his money, so Tony decides to take Ed's Christmas presents, including the Wendy house, which importantly has a number three on the front, and pawn them. Throughout this, Ed seems surprised that Tony doesn't care that he's ruining the Bailey Christmas. Right, seriously, Ed. You're ruining my family's Christmas. You're all right. You're ruining Tony's family Christmas. Right. And you apparently don't and give a fuck about that. don't give a shit. When terrible. Other, when others get home, Dee Dee assumes that they've been robbed, which Ed is happy to play along to, and he eventually gives a suitably vague description to PC Tinker. Ed comes close to admitting everything, but changes his mind at the last minute. So on Christmas Day, at the Bailey's, Joel is still a thing, so that's nice, isn't it, Helen? It is. There's something wrong with that guy. I like him. They're all making the best of a bad situation after the <clears throat> robbery. Everyone else has brought gifts for glory, at least, and they've all been invited to an after-hours meal at Speeddal. Ed has been given a new watch engraved with world's best dad. Our hero. It's a mawkish sentiment at best, and enough to make Ed grab his collar a wee bit. And the watch doesn't even look that expensive. 
The Baileys have had a smashing Christmas at Speedal until Ed gets a text from the police wanting to speak to him about the <clears throat> robbery. On Wednesday, at the Baileys, Ed isn't wearing his guilt watch and thinks Michael should take it back to get a proper gift for glory. PC Tinker arrives to talk about the burglary. The only prints they could find were Tony's and there were no other leads. Plus, plus PC Tinker can't be bothered investigating it anymore. It's Christmas after all. Seriously. This suits Ed who just wants to put it behind him. At the builder's yard, Ed is looking at all the tools that might have made more sense to sell to pay Tony. Joel shows up to check on Ed and offer to put some work his way. Some rich clients are looking for a decent builder to put in a swimming pool. Joel thinks a good guy like Ed deserves a break. Yikes, mm -hmm. said Ed. At the factory, Sean and Lizzie have a surprise for Michael. They've been to a pawn shop in town to get a new Wendy house for glory. But when Michael investigates... It's the exact same one with the exact same number three on the front. Right. This is a Wendy house that was stolen. So Michael rushes off to speak to the shop owner. Then he bumps into Tinker and explains the situation that the person at the shop refused to share the CCTV. So Tinker is on the case. Ed goes to a meeting, uh, a Gambler's Anonymous meeting, and confesses his dodgy dealings at Christmas to pay off Tony. He's never been so ashamed. What has he turned into? He's advised to tell his family... He can't start his recovery until he does. Right. Meanwhile, though, Dee Dee and Michael are at the police station as Tinker warns them that the footage they're about to see is disturbing. <laughs> it's Billy and Paul. <laughs> the CCTV shows Ed selling the stuff in the pawn shop. Dee Dee and Michael are aghast while Tinker threatens taking this to his superiors. Right. It's hilarious, though, because, like, at first it is, you know, what you would expect from CCTV from a pod shop yep. as being kind of blurry and in black and white yep. and not great. But then PC Ticker says, and if we zoom in here, and then all of a sudden it's very clearly Ed. <laughs> yeah, it's his, it's his cast photo. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's not realistic at all. But fine. <clears throat> Didi asks... Uh, Tinker to turn a blind eye. She's speaking to the right bent copper because that's what he agrees to do. Michael knows that Ed is gambling again. Check out the big brain on Michael. <laughs> Back home, Dee Dee, Michael and Ronnie are discussing what to do when Ed comes in, ready to confess, but Michael beats him to it. How could he? So Ed describes the slippery slope back onto the gambling and the big win that allowed him to help Michael when he got fired. The big win dragged him back into it and now he's in so much debt they're in danger of losing the house. And at no point does he throw Ronnie under the bus for the share scam a few months ago. Mm -mm. And he's apparently he's taken a loan out against the house. Michael's furious. <clears throat> Ed asks him not to tell Aggie. Then Ed's day gets worse when Sarge comes home. Sarge is brought up to speed and he calls Ed a failure. Ed refuses to take the shit from him. Ronnie and Dee Dee calm the situation, but Michael still wants to tell Aggie. He refuses to cover up for his dad. Ronnie wants to protect Aggie, who has enough on her plate, and they can focus on helping Ed. Michael won't tell Ad Aggie, but Ed can suck his balls and then he chucks him out of his own house. Ed agrees and leaves to figure out how to fix things. So his idea of how to fix things is to go to the builder's yard and get on the phone to the bank, pretend to be Ronnie, and transfer all the money from the company account into his own personal account. Yeah, it's like, <clears throat> really? This really, did you not hear anything in that meeting? Yeah, this is where... I started to think, Ed, you're kind of bringing this on to yourself now. Yeah, this is not, this is not helping. On Friday, and in the roles, Ronnie hasn't been able to get a hold of Ed, who claims to have stayed at a hotel. Debbie would happily have put him up at the rape hotel. What's wrong with the man? But Ed has actually slept in a doorway in the precinct. At the Baileys, no one knows where Ed is, and Michael angrily doesn't care. 
As far as Michael is concerned, Ed is dead. Joel admits to Dee Dee that he knew Ed was gambling and Dee Dee is shocked. He doesn't think it was his place to interfere and Ronnie agrees, but in doing so, he admits that he also knew that Ed was gambling again. Dee Dee is surrounded by liars and now Ed could have lost the family home. She dumps Joel on the spot and throws the pair of them out. Get out! Get out! At the precinct, Todd finds Ed sitting in a doorway. Ed explains that he's lost everything to the demon of gambling. Can't be that bad, says Todd. Fiverr says it is, says Ed. And poor Todd, who was on his way for ice cream, ends up getting the whole sorry story. Right. Have these two ever had a conversation together before? Not that I recall. Todd tries to put a positive spin on it, being, having been the black sheep of the family right. a number of times himself, but I think Ed's got him beaten. Yes, just a wee bit. Joel buys flowers to say sorry, uh, but she's bought fuck all to say fuck off. She's furious with him and refuses his advances. And his flashy Beamer. Did you see his car? What a lovely car. Mm-hmm. News travels quick and Michael and Sarge know that Ronnie knew and are sick of the sight of him too. Ed shows up and asks to talk. Michael behaves like a child until Ronnie tells him to hear his dad out. Inside, Sarge calls Ed a junkie, while Ronnie tries to remind everyone of the great things Ed has done over the years, like react badly to James being gay. Right, yeah. And Ed- being a gambling addict and making them lose their nice big large house. Ed admits to stealing the company money at the casino last night and lost a lot. Ronnie is no longer of a mind to give Ed the benefit of the doubt. No. Didi comes in and is quickly brought up to speed. Ed chooses now to accuse Ronnie of having money for the development by dodgy inside trading. So this lets Didi have a go at Ronnie, but he thinks this is bigger now than the Christmas presents. This is everything the family has. Plus, the Waterfords deserved it for some reason. Sarge is Team Ronnie here, thinking that it was a victimless crime. Yeah. No such thing. Dee Dee still sticks up for Ed, but Michael reminds her that she wasn't around the first time when he took the blame and Aggie couldn't look him in the eye. Broken, Ed leaves. And this was an excellent point. By Michael. By Michael, yeah. It's all all very well you being on Dad's side here, but where were you four years ago when all this shit went down and he got the blame for it? You were in sunny California. Right. Dee Dee wants to know if Ed knew about the insider trading. Ronnie admits that he did it behind Ed's back and it paid off. Morally, Dee Dee thinks that she should go to the police about it and maybe he and Ed need to be held to account, so she leaves to go to the police apparently. Ed goes to the builder's yard and calls Aggie pretending that everything's fine, then Ronnie shows up. He's calmed but still angry and not here for a fight. He admits that he may have had a part to play encouraging him down this road and tells him about Dee Dee's plans. Meanwhile, she's at the cop shop, but there's no way she's going to grasp her dad and when she sees Joel, she breaks down and cries on his shoulder. Cheaper than flowers. They get into Joel's flash motor. Dee Dee's world has collapsed, but Joel is more worried about getting her forgiveness. She admits that he was in a difficult situation, and meanwhile, she's sleepwalked back into the family from hell. Joel thinks it'll be okay, but she thinks it's worse than he thought, including the business account and the insider trading, and he promises to keep shtum about it all. So Dee Dee finds Ed at the builder's yard. She's not going to grass him up because she had no choice. She tells him that he needs to get help, and he agrees, and he can stay at the flat that will need to be sold, along with the builder's yard eventually. They'll get through this together, but he needs to promise to stop. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. You know what's hilarious in all of this? So many articles. So many articles. Before this, we're talking about Tony kidnapping Ed. Oh, really? And that didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. 
he forced them to go and and um pawn all the gifts so that he could pay him i'm a little surprised that what they got at the pawn shop for the gifts was enough to pay tony off it's only 500 quid yeah but it's a pawn so shop he probably needs like 1200 pounds worth of stuff right to get his and 500 quid probably didn't have that under that tree but never mind um of course i don't know what a windy house is going for these days I, I didn't i find one for 14 quid on argos i mean <laughs> probably depending on the quality you right, can get one yeah. pretty dirt cheap i thought this was brilliant i really liked the storyline this week and i think I, this, I, I did too this is i think what a lot of people have been waiting for a decent bailey storyline right this is a good bailey as a family storyline yes them arguing as a family was great yes um and everybody had excellent points yeah for ed and and sarge they're all (laughs) involved in it uh together as a family they're all Mm -hmm. stuck in the situation that ed's created and the bit about the casino today where he lost the company money as well i thought i wonder if that's just a bit too far but the more i was thinking about it the more it kind of made perfect sense that he would do in that situation mm-hmm. where he needs to rectify things quickly, what's he going to do? Right. Get as, as much money as he can and gamble on it and hope that it that it solves his problems, which right. he was never, ever it was going never to do. was never going to do. And so the more I thought about it, the more it felt uh, kind of in keeping with the, the situation. But right. I, thought, I thought Ed was brilliant in it. Uh-huh. Uh, and Ronnie, when Ronnie turned, Ronnie's sitting listening to his brother confess uh-huh. and... Do you wonder if he's even thinking, is Ed going to throw me under the bus here? Right. Or does Ronnie not even think that he's done anything wrong by the whole share thing? And that was kind of conveyed, I thought, in Ronnie's expression. Mm. I thought... And the realisation, you know, when when Dee Dee says to him, you know, this is... this, This was a triggering event for him. Right. Because this was a gamble that paid off. The worst kind of gamble, right? Right, yeah. You know, the light suddenly goes on for Ronnie. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought that was really well done as well. Yeah. And Dee Dee just being the best Bailey. Of all time. <laughs> by, by a mile. And continuing, the best Bailey of all time. And continuing to be it. Yes. I mean, even Michael, who I, I don't... I don't know that I get Michael yet. I, I don't know that I understand Michael yet. Michael but, is Michael is a bit is different, and I think this is because he is a father now. But he is very different than what he was when he was first introduced to the show. Yeah, and he, he was, had all these wacky ideas. Yeah, for it was money a kind making. of Arthur Daly sort of character. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think he's he's certainly better. Yeah, and he has changed, and his character development is not some. 180 out of the sky mm-hmm. like stew this is like actual character growth yeah no, which I, I find highly appealing it's easy to say as not someone who's addicted to gambling that the easiest thing in the world is just to just to stop gambling right so when dd asked something promised to stop it's like there's almost no point in that because right. he's promised to stop Probably so a, a million times before, right. a million times this week, he's probably promised himself that he's going to stop. Right. And you're like, how is this going to stop? Because he's still going to meetings. So he still recognizes he has a problem. Right. 
but it doesn't seem to be helping. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're like, you can't begin to get better until you confess to your family. He confesses to his family and then turns around and takes even more money and from them. Makes it, makes it much, so much, much worse. worse. Right. Oh, yeah. But isn't that addiction? Yes, absolutely it is. And that's why I think it, it, it ended up working for me, giving it some thought. If you swap gambling for a drug addiction or alcoholism, making things worse as your mo right yes for, for most of the time right right let's not forget abby nearly giving birth in a forest right right you promise the world that you're going to sort yourself out mm-hmm. and you're going to fix things and then it's almost as you've got your jacket on to head out to make things worse your, mm-hmm. those promises are coming out your your, mm-hmm. um, your mouth and i think I think maybe I've uh, I'm I'm proving my own remark on this by not always thinking that gambling is in the same league as a drug addiction or uh, or alcohol addiction or right. whatever. And and I think what this storyline is telling us is that it is, yeah. or, or it is as certainly as destructive, mm-hmm. and certainly that you have kind of loss of all your reasoning skills mm-hmm. in your pursuit of satisfying that addiction. Right, satisfying that high. Because like, you just don't gamble. Just just don't gamble. Right. Well, just stop taking drugs. Right. Or just stop drinking. Right. Just cut up your credit cards. Right. Just stop going shopping, you know. Just throw away the garbage as opposed to keeping it stacked in the living room. You know, there's so many forms of addiction. There's so many forms of the brain seeking that 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 shot of of joy that it doesn't think that it can find anywhere else mm-hmm. yeah, you that, know that. and i like i like the fact that we that the show is kind of acknowledging that with the gambling story i really hated this to begin with because i didn't want ed to go down this path again and i, I still want the best for ed because i like ed's character mm-hmm. but i'm really glad that they have gone this direction with it and shown what they have shown and put Ed through this because it really is for me a defining moment for for the Baileys in the show it's like there's still people that that don't get the Baileys right and and I think this has shown them to be a really good family to have on the show giving them stuff like this to deal with absolutely something that isn't racism and something that wasn't homophobia when James was in it right and it having some harking back to the past of, you know, things that we didn't necessarily see, but there's emotional scars on here from the last time that that make, that we know of, and th- this makes it resonate even even more. I think they've done a great job with it. Absolutely, I'm, I'm really, really pleased with it. I still don't trust Joel. I don't know why. I don't know why either. There's something about him that just. What's he up to? It's because he's white, isn't it? <laughs> no. Maybe it's because he's a lawyer. I don't know. There's Didi's a lawyer. There's something up. There's something up with Joel. I you just, love Didi. I know. She's a lawyer. I know. I just don't trust Joel. I don't know why. He's a good I'm guy. Wait, I'm waiting for that shoot to drop on him. I really am. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. And we say it every week. Continue to be worried about Aggie. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. It's nice to actually see a picture of Aggie. 
on the desk we'll get that, that Ed stares at as he further bankrupts his family. <laughs> right. But, yeah, I'm starting to feel like Aggie's never coming back. It's, it's already weird that she's not here in this big, big Bailey storyline. Right. And it's also weird that there haven't been any articles that say why she's been away from the show. Yeah, we've kind of talked about this previously where it feels like it might be something of a personal nature. Yeah. Yeah. She's in our prayers. Absolutely. And that was the week that was Coronation Street. The Christmas Coronation Street. Helen, what was your moment of the Christmas Coronation Street week? It's got to be Peter's leaving, yeah? Yeah, that final scene, I guess. Yeah. I still have... The walking the walking to the train, holding hands, and then listening to a Nick Drake song and staring at a drunk Santa. <laughs> I wanted to be destroyed by that conversation on Boxing Day, and I wasn't. Yeah. We knew it was coming, and I think that, that hurts the emotional pull a little. I think I just still have issues with it, the credibility of it. Mm. But but the final, the final, final part of it... Mm-hmm. Of them walking away and the looking back thing. Right. That was, I mean, it may be a trope, but tropes are tropes for a reason, right. I guess. And it, it did have the old right. response yeah, well, to we've, me. Yeah, we've proven that it happens in real life. So, yes. yeah, but, and, you know, I did really like the, the scenes of him actually in the train because we don't get to see the inside of the train very often. Not very often. It's a clean you train. Know. Yeah, very clean, except for the drug Santa. Yeah, well, it's a tram just before. Mary Tart decides to write in to complain. It's a tram, not a train. Which we is get, a form of train. Oof, you're just inviting correspondence and I don't know why. <laughs> All right, so Peter's fond farewell or fondish farewell or just Peter's farewell. Yes. Peter's departure to go round the world. Well, it takes about six weeks. That's our moment of the week. Our moment of the week. And you're boring off the Christmas week and the Christmas week of the Christmas quarry. Daniel explaining that the glitter is biodegradable. <laughs> the whole Christmas episode was pretty boring. It was. It was. A, and I hate saying it because it's the sort of Christmas quarry that I think I like is where very little happens. Yeah, but that, but it also means like one of those pull at your heartstring moments like everybody gathered around the piano outside. It didn't have that. No, I think they were banking on Peter's leaving being that. On the Boxing Day episode, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm tempted to nominate Christmas Corey. No, ah. no, 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 no. It's it's the glitter. <laughs> okay. It's the glitter. No, it's, it's Daniel the glitter. after all. It's Daniel explaining that the glitter is biodegradable. Okay, that's our boring moment of the week. But a close runner-up for me is just the Christmas episode. Yeah, close runner-up for me would be Bobby trying to chat. Daddy oh up. no, Bobby. Be nice to Bobby. He was trying to try to chat Debbie up. Right. That's, he stole the, the chippy money. It's terrible. And boring. He was penniless and stranded. That was funny. Anyway. It was not funny. Your score out of ten. Six and a half. I think the the Bailey's storyline was so good this week. Mm-hmm. I think it dragged everything up a little bit. So I'm going to give it a 7. I, I didn't like the Christmas episode, but I'm still going to give it 7 out of 10 this week because I thought the the Bailey stuff was good. 
and Peter leaving is such a huge it's moment a huge, in yeah. the in the show. And yeah, seven feels about right. Okay. All right. This, All right. this episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast. Daisy, French Helen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, Wendy, Noel, Canadian Helen, Christy, and Shandy. I do quite like a Shandy. That's ten friends of the podcast. Isn't that great? <laughs> it is great. That's just lovely. It's amazing. I love them all. If you've ever been caught by your brother-in-law having sex with your husband. And tied a wreath around your bobby. <laughs> Not that bobby. Writing to tell us about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more... A talk of the street. A talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.